You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 217. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And today we are talking change. Since every project is a change, what do project people need to know about leading change? The number one focus in change management literature is overcoming resistance to change, which you know is one of those things that drives me crazy because it's exhausting for project leaders and insulting for those that we are trying to lead. So today we're going to learn the science and experience-based tactics you can use today to successfully lead change in a way that truly brings people with you through the change process. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by Meisterplan. Meisterplan has been in a long-standing partnership with PMO Strategies. Our partnership is based on a shared mindset, as Meisterplan empowers you to achieve the PMO you've always desired. Meisterplan is a comprehensive yet lightweight PMO solution with a particular emphasis on resource and capacity planning so you can reliably deliver what matters most to your business. With features like drag and drop project ranking, real-time scenario comparison, and allocation heat maps, Portfolio managers have all the project data they need right at their fingertips. See for yourself how Meisterplan can help you uncomplicate your project portfolio. Start your free 30-day trial at Meisterplan.com. That's M-E-I-S-T-E-R-P-L-A-N.com. Okay, let's dive in. Now with me today to talk about both the science and experience around change is my dear friend, Barbara Trotline. Dr. Barbara is the author of the best-selling book, Change Intelligence CQ to Lead Change That Sticks. She's also the principal and founder of Change Catalysts and the originator of the CQ system for developing change intelligence. Now for over 30 years, Barbara has coached executives, trained leaders at all levels, certified change agents, and facilitated mission-critical change management initiatives. Clients served include Abbott Laboratories, BP, Cisco, Deloitte, the New York Police Department, and Northwestern University, just to name a few. Barbara holds a doctorate in organizational psychology from the University of Michigan and has been a repeat on the Impact Summit, which you'll hear a little bit about today. I'm so excited for an upcoming session. And we have shared the stage more than once, helping organizations around the world do really big things. She is my go-to change management friend, a real pal, and we're already talking about our plans for a vacation together next year. So we had so much fun catching up before we started this that we were like, okay, we got to get started and actually start the podcast or we're going to take up the whole time because it's just so good to catch up with you, Barbara. So welcome. Thank you, Laura. Right back at you. Thrilled to be here again. Thanks for having me. 
All right. Now we really do need to like, we are putting it on the podcast. We are planning our trip together for St. Lucia next year. So let's make it happen. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing that hardworking folks like us need to figure out how to do is take time to relax. Exactly. Uh, okay. So I am really, really interested in diving into all of this because as we talked about in the beginning, it's so true that change resistance is what everybody's talking about, but frankly, if you're doing it right, you won't have change resistance. So let's stop creating a problem we then have to solve and get through actually figuring out the right way to bring people through change in the first place, right? Absolutely. That so often the focus is on reactive buy-in, right? Versus Mm -hmm. proactive build-in. Change Management 101 is that people own what they help create. And so how can we create as project leaders, How can we create those systems, those processes, that level of engagement, intentionality around around inviting people, as I say, not uh, so often the focus to your point is overcoming resistance to change. It's just the whole vibe is that we're doing something to people or against people or even in spite of them instead of with and for them. So how can we change first that mindset and then our behaviors to be consistent with that? So true. And I'm all about mindset first. Our whole impact engine system has a whole beginning portion of the program, which is about changing mindsets, because if you can't do that, none of the other stuff matters. So it all starts with us and how we think about the work we do. So good. Okay. So I have to say huge congratulations to the 10 year anniversary of your book, Change Intelligence and the CQ assessment that goes with it, which I remember you handing me a copy of your book years and years ago and going through the assessment process. And I was just so wild that it's already been a decade. And so congratulations. That's huge. Thank you so much. Well, I always say writing a book is like having a baby. You never know where in the world it's going to take you. And certainly <laughs> it's well, me to, to meet you. So exactly, that's been awesome. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's the process I'm going through right now. I think child creation was easier than creating my book. So it's been many years in the making and talk about labor, but it's an exciting process. And I'm so excited to finally fall in the footsteps of so many of my dear friends that have written books. I'm excited to get that out, but I want to get back to talking about yours. So can you talk a little bit about when you look back, why did you create this book and the CQ assessment? Why did you do all this in the first place? Yes. Well, for the first 20 years of my career, I was a combination of what we call now a change management consultant. We didn't have the term back then. I started in the 1980s and leadership development consultant. And after 20 years, I sat back and I said, why do we still have such a high failure rate of change? And I recognize that people who are highly successful in other aspects of their career struggle to lead change. And so many organizations fail to realize the benefits from their change initiatives from their projects that they hope for. So I'm an organizational psychologist by training. And so I totally agree with you that change starts with us. As Gandhi said, be the change we want to see. And so I knew that our brains don't change are different, right? As a psychologist, and as we know from neuroscience, the neuroscience of change, and we'll dive a lot more into this at the summit, by the way, it's super exciting. It's very empowering. I wish I had this real scientific information, neuroscience versus just psychology over 30 years ago now when I was starting in heavy industry and steel mills and automotive plants and refineries. But what happens is when neuroscience would place electrodes on people's brains and introduce them to a change, the same neuroreceptors fire when our brain gets introduced to a change. And again, any project is a change as when we feel physical pain. 
So in a very real sense, what we're doing in the project management community is we are exposing people to change. And that is the same experience as going through pain. So what happens when our brain is in pain is all the good stuff that feeds our brain, the oxygen, the glucose gets sucked down past our neck so we can fight, we can fight or freeze. What all those three reactions have in common is that change makes us less smart. Just when we need all our IQ, right, all our intelligence to make smart decisions, to be creative, to innovate, to pivot, to invent new solutions, we get blinders on. Our solution space restricts. We go to all well-learned, habituated patterns, things that made us successful in the past, and we don't even do that as well. That's our brain on change. And that's when other people start feeling like we're pushing, we're forcing, we're trying to overcome them, right? And so I knew our brain on change is different. And I knew that while we had many different ways to build different types of leadership capabilities, communication, conflict management, coaching, we really didn't have tools, processes, approaches to help people build capability in this mission critical competency. And that's what change intelligence is all about. It's all about our individual team and organizational change leadership capabilities. Wow. That is so, so good. So good. Okay. So what I'm always telling my mastermind students, and I'm sure I've said on the podcast at least once is listen, you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you can take care of those around you. And that is such a good analogy. And I'm spending so much time. I just got off of a plane. I'm getting on another one tomorrow. Like I hear that all the time. And I had a very personal experience when I was in a world of chaos in my life where a flight attendant said it to me, but she meant a lot more than just take care of those around you. Like in the plane, she's like, seriously, like she read through to my soul and was like, you need to take care of you first. And what was going on is I was dealing with a lot of personal change in my life and a lot of stress related to all this change that was going on in my life. That was not of my choosing. Right. And so when, what I know is that during times of stress and change and crisis, I can imagine that my IQ goes down because like you said, that all of that comes out and goes from your neck down because you need to get into fight, flight, freeze mode. Right. So when all that is happening, it's like building your change intelligence is putting that oxygen mask on. It's helping you bring the oxygen back to your brain, probably quite literally. Right. So what is this change intelligence? I'm cheating because I know a good bit about change intelligence from having read your book and interviewed you many times and really dove into all your stuff. But for all of our impact drivers listening, how would you describe what change intelligence actually is? Well, like you, Laura, I mean, I always like to say that every master was once a disaster (laughs) and you teach what you need to learn. And I'm definitely still on the learning journey with everyone. But for sure, I definitely had some experiences in my career, which suggested that I was suffering from this dynamic. Right. And so that's why I say that when your IQ goes down in the stress of change, building your CQ is like putting your own oxygen mask back on. Right. Because what happens is that you remember that you have options in leading yourself and others through change. And the more options you have, the more power you have, positive power, positive power with and for others. And so basically what change intelligence is, it's the awareness of our style of leading change and the ability to adapt our style to optimally change across people and situations. So basically it's saying that we all have, I believe, a normal natural style of leading change 
And yeah. it's a very humanistic model that I say that we lead change from the heart, head, hands, right? Some of us lead change from the heart. We love to focus on people, teams, and culture. We engage, we communicate, we collaborate. Some of us like to lead change from the head. We love the vision, the strategy, the big picture. We're systems mm -hmm. thinkers. Some of us lead change from the hands. A lot in the project community are like that because we love figuring out how to get from here. They're very tactical or very intentional or very reliable or very dependable. We love the details. We love to make it real in the field, as I say. We're all blends yeah. of all styles, just like we all have hard-headed hands. However, we tend to have a dominant preference, some two, so, some all three. But what happens in the stress of change is we go to our go-to dominant strategy or approach, and we miss, we neglect, we downplay other critical aspects of leading change. And that's where either people feel like we're pushing, forcing, because we're doing something to them, we're overdoing our strength, yeah. or we neglect our blind spots. And those blind spots are very important. Other people want to know the what, why, the head. Other right. people want to know the how, the hands. Other right. people want to know the who, the heart. And if we're over-indexing on just what's important to us, our intent doesn't match our impact. So that's what change intelligence is all about. Helping us be aware, as you said, our mindset, be self-aware, and then helping us to not change our style. Nobody needs a personality transplant, but to adapt our approach so we can have our intent match our impact and we can engage for change. And like you said, encourage, invite everybody into the boat so that we're all rowing together. Yeah, so good. And by the way, I'm just going to pause for a minute and we didn't plan this, but if you have not read Barbara's book, go get it now. <laughs> it's so good. It's so, so good. Barbara has shared her CQ system on past impact summits, and she's just got some really great content out there for you and a program, obviously, and a certification. A great place to start is with that awesome book because it explains the heart, head, hands model that we're not going to be able to dive in too deeply today. But if you could just, Barbara, at the 100,000 foot view for anyone that is new to you and doesn't know this model, can you just explain a little bit about each one of them so that we can use that as context for the rest of the podcast? Sure, absolutely. And people can pop right over to my website, changecatalysts.com and download two free chapters. So that's a possibility Perfect. too. Yeah. So again, when any change needs, any project needs an effective purpose, and yeah. efficient process and engage people. So therefore any of us needs to pay attention to all three, right? So when we lead from the purpose, right? That's leading from the head. So folks who lead from the purpose, they really love to focus on what is the mission here? What is the vision? Right. What is the strategy? The what and the why of the change? Those are strengths. This is a strength-based model. However, any strength overdone is not so much a strength. So folks who lead very strongly from the head, and especially in the stress of change, when they're overdoing it or neglecting their blind spots, they can be so future-focused, they could lose sight of the day-to-day -day realities. So their project becomes unfunded mandates, undoable, change for change saturation, right? Or people might get on board because they get inspired by the, future, the picture of the future. However, the train might derail because they haven't given people the hands, the plan, the process, and how to get there, right? right? Folks who lead from the hands, they love figuring out how to get from here to their current state to future reality. And again, they're very tactical, planful, organized, right? They like to figure out, they like to have the resources, the training, the tools, everything that people need. That's great. We need that. We know that in the project world. However, sometimes in the stress of change, their heads are down. They right. are changed by checklist, right? Being efficient, not truly effective. Don't realize the world has changed. They need to pivot. And sometimes they can get very frustrated with those pesky people, emotions and team dynamics and organizational culture considerations, right? They drop out right. the heart. 
those of us who lead from the heart, we never forget that, right? We love to engage, communicate, collaborate. We like to make sure that everyone has their input and their needs and concerns are all addressed. Right. That's wonderful because what is changed, but one person changing at a time, how can we right. overdo that? Well, you can always have another meeting. Right. <laughs> you can always right. do another poll survey, right? So right. sometimes we over-index on that. We don't move forward with the sense of urgency we need to. And sometimes our solutions can be like camel instead of the horse, right? Yeah. We have so much input that we're not really being efficient and effective achieving the goal, right? So anyway, so those are the three styles. You probably, it's a very intuitive model. You probably have a sense of what, what sounds most like you and we're actually blends of all the stuff. So there's actually seven different styles, hard head hands, and then blends of two or blends of all three. Yeah. And that's what the assessment report helps us understand. It's so funny because when I'm leading others through change, I do pull on tactics from all three, but when I am just driving a change myself, it's funny. I used to be mostly hands, but now I'm mostly head. And I guess it's just a factor of the role I'm in, right? I've been the CEO of my own business for a decade. I play a very different role, right? Than I did a decade ago. So you asked me a decade ago and I was mostly hands because I figure things out, get it done. Now I'm mostly head, but when I am teaching others how to bring people through change, I get so much more heart, which is interesting because it's like you play different roles depending on if you're teaching versus driving, et cetera. So I have to remember more to bring the heart in just as an example in my own experience. Anyway, for those that are interested in all of this, which you absolutely should be because everybody listening to this podcast is a change maker. So definitely go grab Barbara's book and learn more about all of this. Check out the chapters you can get from her website. It's so good and well laid out and organized in a way that really helps you figure out how you interact in the change world, but then also how all of you can learn more about other styles and how to use them together, bring them all together to really create the superpowers that you need to have to bring people through change. Well, so thank good. you. Well, just to speak to your point about your own evolution, yeah. as I say that you can be successful in any role with any style, you're just going to do it differently. And definitely some people, I believe their style is the same for their entire careers. However, other people, their styles might change and why it's not necessary, not good, bad, not right, wrong. But to your point, it's behavior-based, not trait-based. We're not born with a style and die with a style. And over time, we might have an opportunity to learn new skills, learn new behaviors, and we might incorporate them into our repertoire because they right. lead to our success. So absolutely. Right. And I've seen it go in all different directions. Some people start off very high hands and they become like you, more high head, yeah. right? But a lot of people in the database in general, over time, become higher hearts. The older folks in the database tend to be hard because they think that they realize that it's not all about them, right? If they're really yeah. needing change, it is about yeah. engaging yeah. other people and getting them on board too. So there are some so also good. on their website, there's some interesting research results oh, that people cool. might be interested in. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So this is really great. So I want to get back to all this data you have though, right? Because you've been doing this assessment for a decade. You've got tons and tons of data from different industries all around the world. What have you learned over the last decade of helping people and teams and organizations all over the world, literally build and leverage change intelligence? Yeah, thank you so much. And I love database decision making, right? And oh, yeah. uh, kind of stats geek over here. So it's super fun because when we started off, we had, of course, done pilot testing, beta testing, but there was just about 100 people in the database. And now we have tens of thousands. So it's yeah, super interesting wow. over the last decade. So I think some of the most interesting findings, Laura, have been 
how the database has shifted actually in the last three years since the mm. start of the pandemic and all our global crises that have ranged from social justice issues to global conflict, wars, environmental issues, just on so many fronts. There's been so much change and so much crisis. And what I've seen over the last year are several shifts. One of them is, as I just mentioned, that people are leading from the heart much more than ever before. Regardless of level, role, we're seeing a lot more heart-oriented leadership before because, again, I think that these crises have cut to the core of our common humanity. And yeah. so we recognize that we're more and more human beings, not human doings, right? And everything around the burnout, people are experiencing disengagement, quiet quitting. I think leaders at all levels are recognizing the need to lead from the heart for more. So that's one and another change in general relating to your own career evolution has been that we're seeing more what I call adapters than ever before. So adapters are the style that they lead kind of mid-range from the heart head hands. They kind of have a lot of savvy and intuitively pivoting, recognizing what's missing from their projects and being able to dive in to engage in those different behaviors. And I think that, again, if you think about everything that we had to do in the beginning of the pandemic, for example, yep. to pivot. We had to help the hands. We all had to transition into virtual work, learn how, how yeah. to do our work very differently. We all had to lift our heads up out of the muck and mire of the crises to figure out how do we retool our business, our organizations to achieve our mission in this new world. And we all had to, again, engage the heart. We really had to take care of each other we all are in each other's living rooms or bedrooms. Mm -hmm. We all had an opportunity, shall we say, to learn and practice and build those new behaviors. So we're seeing a lot more of both of those trends globally in the database in the last three years. And that makes sense to me because I think that people went from being single dimension people you interacted with just on one plane. Now there are multidimensional humans. I've noticed that people talk more about their personal lives and they share more, or you might see a dog jump on a lap in the middle of a meeting, right? Like you just, you have conflicts with kids. They're not as cut and dry and separate. I feel like we used to be able to live more in a hand head world. And I think it just makes perfect sense that the way that things changed in 2020 and so many things that happened in 2020 and for the last several years have really opened people up to the fact that human beings are human beings and not humans doing. <laughs> and so there's a lot about people that nobody was paying attention to before. And I think the more you know about someone, the easier it is for you to have your heart involved. So it just all makes perfect sense to me. It's so fascinating. Yeah, thank you. And that's, again, about 20 years ago. So that was about five years before uh, yeah. I had the idea about change intelligence. I had done some global research on leading change around the world. And one of the biggest findings from that research is that there was a longing, a global longing for more heart-centered leadership, that we felt that we had definitely, the pendulum had swung too much into quarterly profits, right? and bottom line results and far and technology, right? And technology solutions and a lot of high tech, low touch, right? And just lack of loyalty for individuals within organizations. Again, I love the Mandarin symbol for crisis has two characters. One character stands for danger and the other for opportunity. 
So clearly Um, we've experienced so much danger, especially in the last three years as a global community. And there's also the opportunity side of any crisis. And I think one of the greatest opportunities is to learn and grow. And definitely I've seen that I think we have grown as a global family, a global community. And we are, again, we are leading with much more humanity, I believe, than, than ever before. For sure. This is so good. Okay. So you talk about all of this change management and bringing others through change, but there's an aspect of this that is about the change maker themselves, right? And needing to adapt and pivot. In our impact engine program, we call it adaptive management styles, right? Like you have to change how you interact with people based on who you're interacting with and their familiarity with the change, where they sit in the organization, et cetera. Can you talk about how you approach this needing to be adaptive. If you're a PMO leader or a project manager and you're dealing with people at different levels in the organization, how do you embrace this concept of being adaptive to meet people where they are in their change journey and communicate with them right, build the relationships right, and bring them through this change process? Yeah, that's absolutely one of the fundamental aspects of building change intelligence is the awareness of your style and the awareness of other styles, right? And then your ability to give other people what they need to get it wanted and be able to do it, right? Head, heart, hands, get it wanted Mm. and be able to do it. Not change yourself, but adapt your approach, adapt your influence style, be a more agile, intentional leader, which again, will decrease your stress and frustration as well as other people's because you're again, speaking in their language. And so one thing I will say back to the research is that there are predictable differences that we see across hierarchical levels and organizations. And so again, you can be successful in any role with any style. And though we tend to see a prevalence of different styles at different levels. So for example, a lot of the folks at senior levels and organizations tend to lead more from the head. Now that don't take that to mean that you can't be a senior leader if you're not a high head type change leader. Because again, we need the heart and we need the hands at every level. That's one of the failure factors that we don't have that. However, we do tend to see statistically more leading from the head, which is logical because that's their jobs, vision, strategy, being at the helms of organizations, right? However, the implication of that is what you see depends on where you sit. They're the most bought into the need for the project or the transformational initiative that our change makers are in this audience are leading, right? However, they tend to be the most disconnected from the impacts of those changes throughout the organization. So that's where you get the unfunded mandates, the why it didn't this happen yesterday, the lack of appreciation for everything that needs to happen to get from here to there, right? Folks at the front lines, okay, frontline people, frontline leaders, they tend to lead more from the heart. They could be hands because you think it's execution. No, actually, this is all about leading change now, not your day-to-day job. It's when you're playing this role of leading change, how do you lead on the front lines? You lead from the heart. Most people lead from the heart. Why? That was surprising to me, but because That's where change really happens. Change is one person changing at a time. Frontline leaders, it's their job to communicate, to engage, to translate the message, right? However, what's the implication of that is that they can seem the most resistant because it is their behaviors that have to change most to make it work, right? But they don't get it. They haven't had the message communicated to them in a way that connects with them, the with them. They haven't had the needs and concerns, those heart-oriented concerns, my concerns address, right? Project managers are in a position in in the middle of that, of the organization, right? Project leaders tend to lead somewhat more from the hands, right? Juggling multiple accountabilities, again, making it real in the field, making it happen, right? 
And they're in an amazing position. It's a frustrating position because they're kind of the baloney in the sandwich, right? They get the edicts <laughs> from above that they might not fully understand or buy into. They get the pushback from below that they might agree with, or at least not have the language, the tools to effectively address. And so what do they do? They have to adapt their approach, right? Adapt their approach. So it's the opportunity to learn how to help oftentimes senior leaders, right? Reframe resistance from enemy to ally, showing them that the resistance is really information that we can use to adapt our approach, right? Information mm. that we can use to help people get it wanted and be able to do it. So to be able to have that courage, it gives us the courage in a common language to bubble that feedback up, right? In a way mm -hmm. that can be heard because so often when we lead our projects, when we lead change, even a question, let alone any type of feedback can be perceived as resistance. It's often right. not resistance. It's often that, people aren't resisting change, they're resisting yet another fail change. Because uh, they're seeing the landmines, they're seeing the issues in the field, in their region, in their department, in their functional group that is invisible to those above. And that's the lesson from the front line. That's the lesson from the front line often is that it's easy to look up and vilify our senior leaders and say they should know. They should mm -hmm. know you're at that position. You should know I'm telling you and you know, Laura, one on one behind closed doors with these senior yeah. executives, they are terrified. Their oh, brain yeah. is on change too. they are leading in the only way they know how and they don't know what they don't know unless we tell them the higher up you go, the harder it is to get any feedback, let alone real time and actionable feedback. So it's up to us in the right. project leadership world to be that translator, deliver that feedback and to be that coach to help create that sense of psychological safety that we can speak without vilification. We can get our voices heard because that's a way to overcome the high failure rate, right? And mm -hmm. engage for change. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is so, so good. Uh, I just want to like spend another hour talking about all of this. So good. Uh, this has made me think of so many things. I think about stuff that is in the work that we do and how we do it. So first of all, I know better, but even as an executive, I drive my teams crazy with all the projects I want to get done and leading from the head and trying to, and thank goodness, I have the most amazing operations manager in Corinne who handles the team mostly and probably protects them from me <laughs> because I'm like, oh, we've got to get this done. We've got to get this done. It's all for good reasons, right? My heart is in the right place, but I'm leading from my head and she's able to, of course, be the hands and heart, right? And take care of the team and make sure that they feel supported and all that, but also get stuff done. And so I'm thinking in my role as an executive, I totally get it and see there is fear. It's like, oh, are we going to be able to do this? Are we going to be able to achieve our goals? Are we going to be able to accomplish this? And, but then also when I think about all of our PMO leaders in the shoes that I used to wear, right? Our PMO and strategy delivery leaders, they also have some fear and concern about being able to achieve these aggressive goals and make all this stuff happen. And so it's interesting the perspective you get if you really take a moment to live in somebody else's shoes, right? Like you're talking about here and really take an opportunity to think the executives don't know what they don't know. And if everyone is afraid to tell them the truth, how can you hold them accountable for not knowing the things that nobody will tell them, right? So that's such an important point. Okay. We have, oh my gosh, this is so good. Okay. So I want to give people a little bit of insight as to what you're going to talk about at the summit. But also, so let's tease that a little bit, give them a little idea of what's coming. So they make sure they're registered for that and join your session at the summit. But I also want to see if you can share a little bit of 
something that they can get their hands on now ahead of time and learn more about all this before we even get to the summit, because this podcast is coming out over the summer and the summit's not till September. And if the people listening are like me, which they probably are, they're pretty impatient. So let's do both if that's okay. Sure, absolutely. Well, definitely at the summit, we're going to take a deeper dive into all the learnings that we've had leading change around okay. the world in the last decade and the actionable implications. Because again, I love data. I think these research results are fascinating, but what do they mean to you as impact drivers? We're really going to talk right. about that. So we're going to talk about kind of the big picture, but really it's going to be research and experience informed insights that you can apply. So that's a teaser. That's what we're going to do. Okay. And then also that apply to you as a leader to apply to yourself, that apply to leading your team and apply to being that influential leader more broadly. So you can really build, because that's when clients who have really embraced change intelligence, what they consistently tell me is that it gives them a simple but powerful common language to engage for change up, down, and across the organization. It's simple because it's easy to remember, head, hard hands, right? And it's, it's global. And it's powerful because it's strength-based and it enables people to get their voices heard and it facilitates cross-functional, cross-level communication, engagement, building, again, both change-capable as well as cultures that embrace inclusive and diverse voices. So again, small picture things, actionable things that you can do as an impact driver, as well as the bigger picture, yes. And then what can people do right now? Well, again, invite people to pop onto my website. They can download the two free chapters of the book if they like. There's also a couple other downloadable tools that they can access. One is about being more adaptive right now. So as a leader, right, looking at how you can leverage the strengths of head, heart, hands even more. And also another tool about how you can analyze your initiatives that you're leading right now from a head, heart, hands perspective. How are you doing achieving the strategy, the goals, the vision? What could you do differently? How are you doing with the process, right? right? Are people really being set up for success? And how are you doing engaging the people, addressing the needs and the concerns of different stakeholders, groups, et cetera? So you can use both of those tools right away, as well as the research reports I mentioned, leading change globally across levels, across genders, and a bunch of case studies. So if you want to see how this applies to you as an impact driver to a healthcare team, to a technology team, to a manufacturing team, teams that are leading M&As, IT implementations, whatever it is might be, there's bite-sized downloadable case studies that you can read, you can share, and all that would be great ways to start building your change intelligence today. Oh, great. And so you just go to changecatalyst.com and we'll have a link to this in the show notes for you can check out all of these great resources. Definitely go pick up Barbara's book and make sure you are registered for the Impact Summit. Just go to impactsummit.global. That's impactsummit.global and register for free today and make sure that you block your calendar so you can catch Barbara's session at the summit. I'm so excited, Barbara, to share you again with everybody. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Laura. And you have a great summer and I hope everyone else does too. I look forward to speaking again in the fall. All right. That's it for this session, Impact Driver. So glad you're here with me. You have the resources we've been talking about today. Go grab them quickly so you can learn more about elevating your change intelligence. That's it for this episode. Bye-bye for now.